what Jeff said. It's a great way to not be excused from the mission of Jesus, but to, while we're just buying coffee, uh, help support those who are on mission. Uh, it's good to see you this morning. A um, little bit under the weather, so I'm just going to get right to it today, if that's all right. And uh, I do want to say to the ladies, I encourage you to sign up and be here Friday night for um, the women's event this coming Friday. Uh, the keynote speaker is um, Francis Chan. And if you haven't had a chance to hear Francis Chan speak, um, he's, he's a man who is passionately falling hard after Jesus in his life, and, uh, and he's the real deal, and I love to hear Francis speak, so I encourage you to be here this Friday evening, ladies, for the Women's Christmas event. I think his daughter is also going to be speaking. I haven't, haven't heard her speak, but I'm sure it's going to be great. Okay, so we're going to wrap up uh, Mark's a Disciple uh, series, and I want to share with you just a couple of things. Um, when I first began putting the series together, I was labeling the Marks, Mark 1, Mark 2, Mark 3, Mark 4, Mark 5, and and I realized for two reasons that was just not a good idea. One, it gets confusing. Are you talking about the Gospel of Mark chapter 1? And so it was like Mark 2. And so it kind of got confusing. But the, the, the primary reason why I dropped that all together is this, that our temptation, especially as Western thinkers, is to, uh, to put a list together of the things that we're supposed to do that, so we can check those things off and feel good about ourselves. And so I, I just had a sense that if it came out to be nine marks of a disciple, we would put those things down on a piece of paper and we would pat ourselves on the back for, uh, for accomplishing seven out of nine this week or whatever it might be. And, uh, and so here's the reality. These are not the only marks of a disciple. Um, this series has been about some of the primary, some of the main emphasis of Jesus on those who would follow him. And so I just want to be clear about that, that as we wrap up this series, and as maybe you've been taking notes and listening uh, to the sermons, that you would understand that if you want the full package of the marks of a disciple, uh, see also the New Testament. Okay? So I just want to throw that out there before I get any kind of emails afterwards. Hey, you skipped this. You skipped the one another. Just skip. Okay, yeah, there's a lot more. These just happen to be the things that I saw as primary emphasis uh, through the call of Jesus and then through the launching of the church in Acts 2. We are going to get to Acts 2 today, um, but we're not going to start there. We're going to actually start in the Gospel of Matthew. And uh, as you turn there, just a little bit of recap. So Gospel of Matthew is where we'll start, chapter 4. I'm going to look at one verse, and we're going to flip to 28 and look at uh, another two verses. Uh, here's just a recap, then, of what we walked through. Um, some of the primary marks of a disciple of Jesus. One, um, that, that um, a disciple of Jesus is devoted. There's a sense that, that this person has sold out. They've given themselves to this, okay, Devoted. Uh, specifically to the apostles' teaching, uh, to the fellowship, which is us, to the breaking of bread, uh, to the prayers, as we heard last week, to corporate worship. Um, as we'll talk about today, the mission of Jesus. Um, one of our first sermons was on baptism, that a, a disciple of Jesus is marked publicly by baptism. Um, but the beginning of this journey begins with simply responding to Jesus by saying, yes, I will follow you. So we're going to start there at this initial invitation for Matthew 4 uh, to, uh, to wrap up our series. This is where we actually began uh, 11 weeks ago. So as you turn to, to um, Matthew 4, I just, want to, I just want to interject two things. One, my prayer for us this morning, if I could just be honest with you, is that we would, be, um, that, that we would refrain from the Jesus juke this morning. Okay, that's what I call it. And those of you who are seasoned, church-going folks, I'm talking to us. Uh, the Jesus juke is this. When you come into a church, into a familiar setting, the, the word of God is open, you're listening for God to speak, you hear God speak powerfully, and then for some reason you think that God is speaking but not to you. And so we kind of juke Jesus. Right? You know what I'm talking about? It's the Jesus juke. 
Um, I, I, my prayer this morning is that we wouldn't. And, and I just want to say this very honestly, that if you hear God speaking this morning, he's speaking to you. Okay? He's not just letting you listen to him, give somebody else a lecture. God himself wants to speak to you. And my prayer is that we wouldn't try the Jesus juke this morning, that this doesn't apply to me. It applies to guys like Joey and Jeff and, and Billy and these super crazy spiritual guys, but not just an ordinary guy or an ordinary woman like me. Okay? So two reasons why um, talking about being on mission for Jesus is not, um, it's not a popular notion in our culture today. First of all, the mission uh, of Jesus requires sacrifice, even to the point of giving your own life, okay? And so some reasons why that's not popular in our culture. One, you have some confusion with uh, Islam jihadists who live and die for their mission. And so when you begin talking about living and dying for Jesus, there's always that temptation to go, whoa, I don't want to sound like them. Though there's a stark difference, right? I mean, jihad... Uh, extremist is living and dying to kill people where the Christian is living and dying to save people. Starkly different, okay? So that's one reason why it's not popular to talk about giving our lives, sacrificing our lives, laying our lives down for the mission of Jesus. Another reason is because in our culture, let's just be honest, it's not popular for religion to impose anything on our lives that might be inconvenient. Jesus has become such an imposition to the American Christian. I have no idea. Let's just take that as like Satan's getting a little bit frustrated because the word of God's going out, okay? Let's, we'll interpret that. So, so here's the thing. Let's just be honest, right? Jesus has become an imposition. When he says hard things to us, like if, if you're going to, um, if you want to save your life, you need to lose it. And if anybody would lose his life for my sake, you will actually save it. When he says hard things like that, we tend to dismiss those as figurative or metaphor that surely he's not calling us to give up and to be inconvenienced. Like, we like church being on Sunday at a set time that fits right into our schedule, but don't throw in a Tuesday night Bible study. It's so inconvenient with all the other things I have going on, right? So, there's two reasons why it's hard to get up and talk to the American Christian about what the mission of Jesus is really asking us to do, but let's just call it what it is, okay? Let's just call it what it is as we get started. All right, so the Gospel of Matthew, Matthew is one of Jesus' disciples. It's the opening of the New Testament. He actually bookends his Gospel with two remarkably important and similar verses, uh, Matthew 4.19 and Matthew 28.19, I believe, are two gloves, if you will, to, to, to the gospel. Two hands kind of handing this thing to us as Jesus invites the disciples to follow him and then he sends them out. So we're going to start in 4.19, Matthew 4.19. This is the beginning of the public ministry of Jesus. He approaches Simon Peter. They were fishing. You remember where we were? 11 weeks ago, and he says these things to them, follow me, and I will make you fishers of men. Now, so much was packed into those few words. Follow me, well, that's going all the way to the cross and past it. I mean, those two words are just so big, and then I will make you, like, like make you into something different. So in this simple invitation Jesus is putting forth for these men to follow him and he will make them into something different, he's saying to them, I'm going to give you a whole new identity, right? Because they were fishermen, he's going to make them into fishers of men, a new identity. 
in a whole new trajectory and mission for life. You will, if you follow me, you will live for something different. So just in recap, you guys remember probably week two, we spent some time talking about being made new, that when you say yes to Jesus, so much happens at that moment. There's a slide just as a reminder of what we went through that day, but I'm not going to go through it all, but at the moment you say yes, Ephesians 1 would say to us that the Trinity is doing this amazing work in us and on us and to us, that, that everything is different after you say yes to Jesus, that We've moved from cursed to blessed, from rejected to chosen, unrighteous to now righteous, enemies of God to now sons of God, guilty to innocent, worthless to redeem, separated to united, illegitimate children to now heirs with Christ, sealed by the Holy Spirit and guaranteed by the Holy Spirit. Okay, so this is, that's all new, right? It's not, I accept Jesus to make my life better. It's when I accept Jesus, when I yield my life to him and say yes to him, I'm not me anymore. Not the old me. Like from this point forward, I'm the new me. Okay, so these guys were accepting that invitation to be made different, a new identity. I mean, let's just face it. These guys are never going to be able to live their lives like they used to live again. They try to actually go back to fishing. It's not going to work out for them. Because they're about to go public with Jesus as his followers. And people are going to recognize them. Like Peter, right, is recognized there um, while Jesus is on trial. Weren't you with him three different times? Weren't you with him? I know the point of that is that he rejected Jesus, but the secondary point is people were beginning to recognize these guys and associate them with him. But the second point is this, you're never going to get to go back to being a fisherman again. You have a, you're going to have a new mission for life. Now, the, the, the second part of this is in Matthew 28 after the resurrection. Jesus tells the disciples before the resurrection, before his death, After I resurrect, I want to meet you on the mountain. So then after his resurrection, he meets up with him in Matthew 28 on the mountain in what we call the Great Commission. It's where Jesus takes this mission that he's been living for the last three years and he hands it to these 11 guys and says, now you go. So let's look at Matthew 28 together for just a moment. This is the end of the Gospel of Matthew. Jesus says then, Verse 18, and Jesus came and said to them, all authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Well, we won't have time, but it's such a powerful statement he's making there. And then he says to them, with all authority of heaven and earth, he says to them, go. Go, therefore, and make disciples of all nations baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all that I have commanded you, and behold, I am with you always to the end of the age. Now that's, that's what he invited them to in Matthew 4.19, right? Come, follow me, and I will make you fishers of men. Now in Matthew 28.19, he says, now go do it. Right? I've, I've made you new. Here's the mission. You guys go do it. I want to look for just a minute at at Romans 10, Um, and I'm going to invite you to turn with me to Romans 10. Uh, We're going to do some flipping today. Um, If you don't mind, I want you to see something, uh, something beautiful and significant, I believe, to the mission of Jesus.
All right. Everybody there? So here's what's happening in Romans 10. You've got the Apostle Paul. He's become a believer of Jesus. And now he's going to kind of give an overview of this Matthew 28, 19 commission to go make disciples. Okay? We kind of get it. We get it that these guys went out as 11 and started the church, and the church began to share the gospel with other people. The church began to grow, and multiply churches were planted, and the gospel was spread, and, and eventually it got into to, uh, Western Europe and then made its way to the New World, which is now the Americas, and we had Thanksgiving with the Indians and all. You know, we kind of know how that worked, right? The gospel kind of spread throughout human history. However, the, the way the gospel spread is very specifically called out in the scriptures. And, and I want you to see how, how simple the gospel is spread, but how important your role is in spreading gospel. So in Romans 10, um, Paul talks about this, and he says, let's just start in verse uh, 13. For everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. That's how the gospel is spread, Right? So as people are sharing the gospel with other people in different language and different tribes, different nations, people are hearing the gospel and they're calling on the Lord Jesus and they're being saved. And then those people turn around and do what? Share the gospel. Somebody hears it, believes it, calls on the Lord Jesus and they're saved. Can we agree? That's why we're all here today. Even if you're not a believer, you're here amongst believers because of this mission. But, but Paul wants to simplify it so we can see just how simple the process is that we might not overlook the significance of our part in it, okay? So then he goes on in verse 14. Everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. Verse 14, how then will they call on him in whom they have not believed? And how are they to believe in him of whom they have never heard? And how are they to hear without someone preaching? And how are they to preach unless they are what? Sent. See where he's referring back to Matthew 28, 19, go. Sent. As it is written, how beautiful are the feet of those who preach the good news. So let me just kind of show you what what this looks like in my mind. Here's the kind of what it looks like. So go, preach, somebody hears, Once they hear the gospel, they believe the gospel, and so they call on Jesus, then that person goes, preaches, someone hears, they believe, they call on Jesus, you kind of get it, right? This is how we became to be here today as Christ followers, like this simple process over and over and over again. But what I want you to see, as simple as it is, how incredibly significant it is to go and to preach. And don't hear the word preach and do the Jesus juke. Okay, if you're, if you're intimidated by that word, you're not sure that you can, it's, it's the word proclaim, okay? And we're pretty good at proclaiming things that we believe in, right? And so simply going and proclaiming the good news of the gospel, that's the simplified version of what it means to go, therefore, to all nations. And so as simple as that is, people can't hear unless you go share. I mean, we can... We could try to dominate the radio waves and the internet, right? We could bust out the walls and put speakers on the outside of this building, and we could just, I mean, we we can only get to so many ears, right? I mean, Joey would tell you in those villages we're looking at in the Philippines, they have no exposure. They They don't have the internet. They don't have radio, so they don't have a way to hear the gospel. So according to this, they have no way to respond to Jesus, 
Now, I want you to look at verse 17. This, this verse is incredibly convicting to me. This is Romans 10, 17. So faith comes from hearing and hearing through the word of Christ. Here's the, here's the inverse of that or the converse of that. In my unwillingness to share, I am saying I don't, I am not going to participate in somebody hearing. Right? When we choose not to share, when we like very apathetically go about our daily lives like the gospel is just chump change to us, we're choosing not to share it with people. We're therefore choosing to, right, we're refusing a person the opportunity to hear it. You begin to see the significance of your role as someone who has received this precious gospel message of Jesus who died for the sins of the world, resurrected from the grave to save people from sins and give them an eternal hope, an eternal existence in the glory presence of of the Lord Almighty. That gospel message has been entrusted to you. Now, in in June of 2010, I did a, a gospel series and in one of the messages, um, I spent a lot of time talking about the reasons why we don't share the gospel. And so I just want to recap a little bit from, uh, from that sermon. Here were some of the reasons that, um, that I felt like um, were relevant to us as 21st century American Christians. Um, the, the first and probably the one that really just kind of got me in the gut was this one. Um, we don't believe the gospel. Well, wait a second. We, I believe the gospel. No, I mean really believe the gospel. Not relying on the gospel for fire insurance so that when we die at our funeral, somebody can get up and say, this person is now in the presence of Jesus, everybody, it's going to be okay. That's fire insurance. I mean really believe the gospel that everything is made new and I have been commissioned not just by Jesus but with Jesus to take this gospel to the ends of the earth. Yeah. Fire insurance, chump change, a good luck charm. That's one of the things that that just really gets my stomach churning in conversations um, here in in the States at least. I don't know what it's like in the Philippines. Joey could tell us, you know, if it's it's the same way there. This sense of just like this lack of urgency with the gospel. It's like, you know, Jesus is just the charm we put around our neck. He's the sticker on our car. He's the... Right, the place we go on Sunday, so that just in case we die from Monday to Saturday, we're covered. Just good luck charm, because I just really hoping this year pays off big. Jesus didn't die to make your life better. He died to save you from your sins and give you an eternal hope. That's the gospel. So one reason I think we don't share the gospel, and you can figure out which one of these might be yours, is that we just don't believe it. Fully. Another reason is that we're selfish. It takes time to build relationships and it takes resources to build relationships. So it does, right? I mean, how are we going to fit in another conversation or a dinner with this couple or this person? Or, you know, how am I going to fit all this in? And not only that, I mean, it's just such a financial burden to go and to have to, you know, to go out to dinner with these people. You know. Let's just be honest, we're selfish. One of the reasons we don't share the gospel is we're selfish. We will drive across town and have to, to do business at some place where we save a little bit of money instead of doing business in our own community where it may be a little bit more expensive, but you can actually get to know the folks, get to know your barista, your gas station attendant, 
your dentist, your doctor. I just challenge you to think about that as you make decisions. Is it all about saving money? Now, I understand stewardship. I'm all down for that. However, I think the gospel and the importance and the urgency of the gospel should be more important than, right, our money. And so I'm not saying be wasteful with your resources, but I'm saying, like, if you can, and this is the humorous part of it in saving money and the whole Black Friday thing is this, that you end up spending more money than you save in the gas that you burn. I don't know if you calculate all that. It kind of becomes, so, like, we'll drive all the way across town to save nine cents a gallon on gas, but the gas we burned to get there and back wasn't really worth it. I don't know if we, so, like, so saving money anyway is just kind of a, I'm good with saving money. However, I, I think that it's very important that we invest our time and resources into the gospel. Maybe God's prompting you to build a relationship with somebody. And Have you ever been in line with a, um, and you're just noticing the person checking people out in front of you or taking money, and God just like prompts your heart, but you don't know how to start that conversation? And, and maybe you, you pay for your goods and you move on and never even do it. Did, did you know you could go back and do business with that person? And you could begin to build a relationship with that person? It's a little bit inconvenient, but you have to be intentional about it, right? So, yeah, I missed that opportunity. Okay, well, go back, Right? Chances are they have a normal shift. Go back and learn when they work and go back and spend, learn their name. Have a conversation with them. Find out a little bit about what's going on. You might even, I just noticed it looks like you're, how's your day going? It looks like you're having a rough day. And start a conversation with that person. But I think another reason why we don't share the gospel is just selfishness. We don't have time or extra resources. Um, fearful of what people will, will think. I came to this revelation in my own life this week. This is me, I'm not putting it on you. I used to think that whenever I was scared to share the gospel, I was worried that people wouldn't believe it. But I think that what I've come to realize is that when I'm fearful of sharing the gospel, I'm worried that people won't believe me. Like, I'm more concerned what people think about me than what they think about the gospel. I don't know if that resounds with anybody else. But, like, it's like I'm worried about my reputation more than I am the reputation of the gospel sometimes. And so I'm, I'm fearful, and I, I, I worry about what people think about me. See? I mean, every time we get fired up here, it's going to happen. So there's some reasons. Um, I, I, I won't go long or deep into this one. We don't see the gospel as treasure. Um, I'll just say this. If the gospel doesn't mean everything to you, the gospel doesn't mean anything to you. But let that one set. If the gospel doesn't mean everything to you, then the gospel doesn't mean anything to you. The gospel. Now, you may have a modified good luck charm version of it, but if it doesn't mean everything to you, if it doesn't wake you up in the middle of the night, doesn't give you purpose when you get out of bed in the mornings, if it's not one of the last things you think about when you lay down at night, how Jesus has mercifully and graciously saved you and washed over your sins, if the gospel doesn't mean everything to you, then I would contest that maybe the gospel doesn't mean anything to you. Now, today I'm going to spend more time on this. I didn't mention this, like I said, in 2010, this Last reason I want to spend more time on today is this. I don't think that we see the, the grandeur, the, 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 the majestic grandeur of the mission. And so what I want to do is take the next 10 minutes and, and just simply look at what Scripture says about this mission and the way the Bible describes it from a prophetic Old Testament sense and even a New Testament, uh, you know, rubber meets the road, boots on the ground. Like, what does the mission look like? from God's perspective. And I don't think you and I behold it, this mission, as majestic, grandeur, eternal, incredibly significant. Let me just share with you a couple verses. You don't have to turn to these. 
Um, Habakkuk. Anybody been in Habakkuk? I just love saying it. And I pronounce it different every time I say it. Habakkuk. Habakkuk. Just have fun with it. It's just one of those Bible names you can say it a bunch of different ways. So uh, from the Old Testament perspective, looking forward at the works of what God is going to do, there's this very majestic, grand, earth-shattering, like all the way back to Genesis 12, like I'm going to, like, when was the last time God spoke a promise? I'm going to bless all nations through you, right? I'm just working on getting my one-year-old potty train. Like if you could just do that, God, it would be awesome. No, I'm going to bless all nations through, I mean, that's, that's huge, and so all throughout the Old Testament, looking forward to what Jesus would come and do and bring and be, and right, it was all about this majestic coming of the king. And so you have these beautiful promises. I just picked a couple. Um, so here's, here's one. Um, he brings all of them up with, now, actually it's 1-5. I don't know if you can load it really quick, Rick. I'm going to read 1-5, so that's not the one I wanted loaded. Um, I did put 1-15, but 1-5, uh, sorry. Um, here it is. One five. Look among the nations and see, wonder and be astounded, for I am doing a work in your days that you would not believe if I told you about it. I mean, when was the last time you heard God say that? You wouldn't even believe it if I told you this amazing work I'm going to do. I mean, that's a majestic view of the mission of Jesus, isn't it? Jesus is making these promises and these beautiful proclamations to the disciples in John chapter 1, verse 50 and 51. Now, this is a conversation, if you remember, um, Philip and Nathaniel, um, that, uh, that Philip, um, is, he discovered Jesus, I would say he was going to say he discovered Jesus. Jesus comes to him and invites him into the mission. Then he runs to his brother, Nathaniel, who's underneath the tree and says, we found him, the son of God. If you remember this conversation, the way that Nathaniel was brought into the disciples, and so, um, so then you have Nathaniel come running to see Jesus in, uh, in chapter 1, verse 50. So he's just like blown away. Whoa, you're the Messiah. And Jesus answered him, because I said to you, I saw you under a fig tree, do you believe? So that's what Jesus says to him. Nathaniel, before Philip came and told you, you were under a fig tree. He's like, whoa, you are the Messiah. How would you know that? And so Jesus, just because I told you that, you believe? You will see greater things than these. Now think about it. I mean, that to us makes sense, but to these guys, there's just a small collection of guys here. They're just getting started. You're going to see greater things than these. Verse 51. And he said to him, truly, truly, I say to you, you will see heaven opened and the angels of God ascending and descending on the Son of Man. Can you get much bigger than heaven opening? Heaven unzipping? Right? I mean... Whoa, try to capture that in a, in a movie, right? Angels ascending and descending on the Son of Man. Later on in the Gospel of John, four, chapter 14, verse 12, truly, truly, I say to you, this is Jesus, whoever believes in me will also do works that I do, and greater works than these he will do, because I am going to the Father. Now, this is, again, a conversation with Nathaniel. I don't know what the significance is here, but... Um, but Jesus is saying, and so typically the charismatics will um, take this verse and interpret it only to mean signs and wonders, okay? I'm definitely down for signs and wonders in the current movement of the Holy Spirit in the church. Absolutely. However, is there anything more amazing than a dead heart rebelling against God all of a sudden softened and shattered and broken 
and turned and healed and made alive. Is there anything more miraculous than that? Than a person who is stiff-arming God, I want to have nothing to do with you. Paul would say, that's being an enemy of God. All of a sudden, in the presence of God, hearing the gospel, being broken and brought to their knees, and humbling themselves before the Lord Jesus and being made alive. Like, like that's the greatest miracle of all. There's some statistics out. Um, Ralph Winter did a, a study. And so anytime you do statistics over, you know, anything, you can, you can spin statistics, right? I mean, we saw this with the elections. You see it all the time. So there's a plus and minus to this. Um, however, it's really interesting. I think that the, you can't deny um, the, the basic movement of this, this chart. Think about it. Before we get to the chart, Jesus starts with how many? Back in the beginning of the Gospels, 12, loses one. So right at the very beginning of Acts chapter 1, after he's commissioned them, they replace the one. So you could either say 11 or 12. But when he's giving this go make disciples commission, he's down to 11, whether it's 11. So all that he did in three years, can you imagine? I mean, look at what God has done here over the last three years. So you compare you know, those 11 guys to the earth's population, that's a pretty small percentage. However, the gospel gets a fast-paced move, doesn't it? Like, like thousands are coming to know the Lord Jesus as the gospel moves forward. However, when you consider the earth's population, the percentage of people who are really born-again believers is really, really small, even with thousands coming to know the Lord Jesus. And so look at what happens as you get to the 1900s, the turn of the 20th century, I think it's 2.5 to 2.75% of the earth's population are born again Bible-believing Christians, according to his study. Now look what happens as you get into the latter half of the 20th century, this, this amazing climb to the point where he would say that over 12% of the earth's population are now born again believing Christians. Like, like why do we have this woe is me perspective of the mission of Jesus. Like, greater things than these you will see. This go, tell, hear, believe, call, commission from Jesus, it's working. Right? I mean, in the Chinese church, if you just look at the numbers in the Chinese church, which are hard to count because they're mostly underground, they've gone like from 1 million to 80 million believers in the last half of the 20th century. I don't know where it is now. At one point, it was the fastest growing Christian movement on the face of the earth. The, the gospel is working. Okay? So, we're called to participate in this. Now, I, I love the way that um, Ephesians 1 presents um, the gospel. And, uh, and, and so, I want to look at that with you for just a minute. Um, we're not going to go through, through it all. We, we spent a whole Sunday in Ephesians 1, but just want you to take note of something. This was fun. It'll spark some good theological debate, maybe some conversation over lunch. I'm good with that. Um, just three, verses three and four and five. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us in Christ with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places. Even as he chose us, in him before the foundation of the world that we should be holy and blameless before him. In love, he predestined us for adoption as sons through Jesus Christ according to the purpose of his will. Now, 
Some fantastic theological debates could come out of this over God's sovereignty. Uh, I think the one thing you can't debate is that God is sovereign, right? It's the, the way he inflicts his sovereignty on his people. Does he, does he choose? Does he not choose? Do people choose? Do they not choose? What's going on in this passage? What does it mean that God predestines? Don't I have a will here? Those are all fun conversations. But here's what we can't deny. When was your adoption on the mind of God? Before the foundations of the world. Can the mission of Jesus be any more majestic than that? Before we get sidetracked by all these theological debates, of how does this work that God chooses and wills and then man responds and chooses? And before we get sidetracked by all that, can we take a step back and go, whoa! I've been invited to participate in that? Because here's what happens. If we get sidetracked by the theological debates, we, first of all, we get sidetracked, and we're not sharing the gospel. But second of all, something else happens. If you land too hard on the sovereignty of God, then you say this, God's already chosen. Right? What, what part do I have to play? Why do I have to participate at all? I mean, he's already chosen who he's going to say. Then the flip side of that, right, is, is this living like everything depends on me, and this, if you get too crazy on that end, you can start patting yourself on the back and keeping a, a tally of all the people you, you saved. So there's danger on both ends of that spectrum. However, here's what you need to hear. Did God, did God will us to be saved, or did we choose to be saved? God ordained to save the world through you proclaiming the gospel, Regardless of which which camp you land in, God ordained to save the souls of man through you proclaiming the gospel. It's the method he chose to use. So I don't care what camp you're in. I invite you out of your camp this morning. I invite you into this majestic grandeur. I'm running out of words big enough. I need some five or six syllable words to just to try to describe what we've been invited to, into. Jesus said this in Matthew 24, 14, and this gospel of the kingdom will be proclaimed. <laughs> I love this. He didn't say, hey, it's my hope, guys, that this gospel gets proclaimed. He says to these 12 men, this gospel of the kingdom will be proclaimed throughout the whole world as a testimony to all nations, and then the end will come. I, I, I'm, okay, I'm okay with talking about eschatology and end times and post-trip, pre, all those fun, you know, theological end times conversations. But however, like, here's what should happen. Like, oh, it's the end of the world. Okay, fantastic. We've got a mission to be on. You, you want to know when the mission's done? Jesus said, when my gospel is proclaimed to all the nations, you in a hurry for Jesus to come back? Then get on board. Yeah. Quit saying, I'm too old. I'm too set in my career to go to the nations and share the gospel. Quit saying, I'm too young. I love. Joey was, was a young man, right? Just at that point, I'm going to start college, start my career, and God called him. I love that the kids' ministry spent, I don't know, what, four, five, six weeks on the missions emphasis of that. I love that we're raising a generation without excuses. I love it that and my greatest hope for Hudson and Calvin are the day that they come home and we have that uncomfortable conversation. Dad, I feel like, like God's calling me to go somewhere dangerous. It's so hard to, to hear, I'm sure, but 
Like, I want my kids to understand that's the mission they've been called to, not the safe, comfortable, compliant one. Not this one that they see Sunday mornings. Is it church day? Yeah, I mean, there's something beautiful about when we come together. This is not our mission, though. Right? This is our resting pad. The mission's out there. And it's dangerous. It's very dangerous. It's very risky. All right. So just to see, then, the boots on the ground from Acts 2, our passage we've been reading. Verse 41. So the 11, they've taken on an extra. Now they're at 12. Peter preaches. It's beautiful. Verse 41. So those who received his word were baptized. And they added that day about 3,000 souls. From 12, you could even argue 120, probably 120 believers there. From from 12 to 120 to 3,000. Like quickly. They added about 3,000 that day. Verse 42, here's what they were doing. They devoted themselves. Here's, here's what marked their lives. They devoted themselves, the apostles' teaching, to the fellowship, to the breaking of bread, to the prayers. All came upon every soul. Many wonders and signs were being done through the apostles. And all who believed were together and had all things in common. And they were selling their possessions and belongings and distri- distributing the proceeds to all as any had need. Verse 46, and day by day. Day. That's going to come up again in just a second. So here's what they were doing day by day, and then we're going to see what God was doing day by day. Okay, just pay attention to that. Here's what they were doing. Day by day, attending the temple together, breaking bread in their homes, they received their food with glad and generous hearts, praising God. Okay, so they were spending time vertically praising God, but then they spent time horizontally with other people, praising God and having favor with all the people, and the Lord added to their number, here's what God was doing, day by day, those who were being saved. So it's like Luke doesn't want us to get caught up with 3,000. Yeah, that was big. Don't, don't stop. Don't get caught up there. Matter of fact, look at um, Acts 4, verse 5. Uh, let's, let's start in verse 4. But many, this is right before um, Peter and John are arrested. Okay? So this is early on in, in Acts 4. But many of those who had heard the word believed. You see how we don't get away from that? You hear the gospel, you believe it, okay? Those who heard it believed, and the number of the men came to about what? 5,000, like, it just, whoa, from 11 to 12 to 120 to 3,000, now 8,000 men. I mean, the church is blowing up, but took it a couple thousand years to get to the place where it is today. And Jesus says this, I'm coming back. I'm coming back after my gospel is proclaimed to every people and every tribe and every tongue and every nation. Go tell them about me. Just a couple of questions. Have you been rescued by Jesus? Did you literally look at the gospel that way? Not um, all the things we talked about earlier, this this good luck charm. do Do you look at the gospel and believe that Jesus rescued you? If we do, if we say yes, shouldn't there be more of a sense of urgency to see others rescued? If you really believe that it was a rescue, right? I mean, if you're out floating in the water and you're rescued, there's going to be an urgency to rescue the others. Have you really tasted 
the grace and the goodness of God. We sing about it in here every week, about how good God is, how merciful God is. Have you really tasted the goodness and the grace of God? If so, shouldn't there be more of an angst to share what we've tasted? Like, I can't withhold the angst when I eat cookies that are good. Like, like right now, all I have to do is think about Leah Lewis's banana pudding, and I begin to taste it. And if she brings it to a church function, I'm eating it after I've had my fill, I begin proclaiming it. I can't, I can't not share it after I've had mine, because if I share it too early, I miss out. But, like, if we really tasted the goodness of the Lord, shouldn't there be more angst to share it? And if we have truly found Jesus to be our treasure, shouldn't there be more of a sense of wonder in our life as we cherish Jesus? Shouldn't there still be a sense of, I'm not quite over that yet? Like, I I think that we, I think that we have too cheap of a perspective on the mission. I I do. I think that we see the gospel as um, filling the religious box of our lives. Once we've checked that, we're good to go. And we don't see it that if the gospel doesn't mean everything to us, the gospel doesn't mean anything to us. Now here's what I want to do. Transparently share with you this, I'm preaching this in a mirror right now at myself. I am. And so here's what I'm going to invite you to do today. To, to join me just in a verbal covenant. Now you don't have to say it out loud. But if this is you, if this has landed on you and you weren't able to, 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 to Jesus juke this morning, you know, it's just landed on you. You're like, wow, I just, I need to deal with this. Then here's what I want to ask you to do with me. To respond, first of all, in repentance. Okay? Um, to, to say, I, I'm, it's sin to not see Jesus as he is. Like it's sin to diminish the glory of God. And so indirectly, when we don't make the, this beautiful gospel message important in our lives, we diminish it. We're deglorifying something that was meant to be glorified and hailed and lifted up. When we don't share the name of Jesus with people, what are we saying? We're saying it's, it's not that important to me. That's sin. If you could just join me in repentance this morning and saying, Lord Jesus, I am just, I'm very sorry and I'm broken that I have cheapened your name to my friends, to my coworkers, to the family, to the people I do business with. I I, I have cheapened who you are to them. And And then add to that maybe just a sense of covenant together that you and I could agree that we'll begin to day by day let go of our excuses. I wonder if we could do that today. Just begin to say, listen, I, I covenant with you, and I'll covenant with you. Let's begin to let go of our excuses. Some of you have been hearing about the Philippines, and God has said, I want you to go, and you have not even budged for the, for the list of reasons that you've heard today. Others of you, you've got a mission right in the next cubicle, and you know it, and you haven't even budged. Could we covenant together? to drop our excuses, our fear of what people would think of us. We could truly treasure Jesus and the gospel enough to share it. You know that sharing the gospel, last thing, is an act of faith, right? 
The Bible promises if you'll share the gospel, the gospel will never not do anything. The gospel is what does the work. You share the gospel, and in faith you believe it's going to work. You leave the rest up to God. It's a faith move, okay? We could covenant together to live by faith and sharing the gospel boldly and often with the people around us. So I'm going to invite you into a time of prayer this morning as the worship team comes back up. And so um, let me just give some, some, maybe some instructions. If you would like to like outwardly respond and you want to join me down here at the front or maybe stay where you're at um, uh, and just maybe spend some time in just repentance before the Lord, I would invite you to do that this morning. And, uh, and, and if you're sitting there today and you're like, I really want to respond to that, that covenant invitation, um, I'm going to ask you to do something just kind of funny. Bear with me. Before you leave today, if you would just mark some kind of indication on your Connect card, um, just even in the, just write something out about, you know, I, I'm, gonna, I'm making a covenant today to drop my excuses or to not be, you know, whatever it is, whatever God's speaking to you. What I want to do is I'm going to collect all those Connect cards. I'm going to just have Lindsay give those just to me. And I'm going to begin praying for you in what you've decided to do today. I, I commit to do that, okay? And so if you would just let me know if God has prompted you this morning and you're responding uh, with, with a sense of, you know, I'm covenanting with you, Jason, to, um, to be bold with the gospel, and, uh, and I want you to pray for me, then write that on your Connect card and drop it in the boxes. I want a list of names of people who are, who are going to jump on board on this mission. And that's the way I'd like for you to indicate that to me. And as always, if you're here today and you need prayer, um, you'd like for somebody to pray with you, and maybe you're here today and, and you want to respond to the gospel. You want to taste the goodness of the Lord. We'll have our prayer partners in the back. I ask them to stand in front of the window back here so that you know where they're at. We have our prayer rooms open over here. Um, I'll be down at the front. Um, I don't mind praying with you this morning, but I'm going to try not to breathe on you. Um, but let's respond now to the voice of God.